Good morning. It's Friday, the 10th of November, and this is Govind Rajathiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's smog financial capital. And it's a very happy Dantheras to you. Our top stories for the day India vulnerable to recurring food price shocks, says the Reserve Bank of India governor. Strong GST collections are from economic activity and not crackdowns and penalties, says the government. Why Indian stainless steel manufacturers are upset with China. The rupee hits another fresh low against the US dollar. What is keeping it down? From gyms and spas to skincare and supplements, wellness is a $5.6 trillion industry worldwide. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. India is vulnerable to food shocks. India is vulnerable to recurring and overlapping food price shocks despite the recent moderation in inflation, the governor of the Reserve Bank of India, Shaktikanta Das, said on Thursday. Well, it appears to be an acknowledgement of a problem as well as an admission of sorts that the government's best policy measures to manage food prices are not necessarily working out. In almost all cases, including rice, wheat, sugar, and even tomatoes, prices appear to respond only barely to government actions, for instance, banning of exports, in this case of non-Basmati rice, to most countries. It's not clear whether not banning would have caused prices to shoot up, though the public policy response, which is only to be fair, is strong and well-aimed at protecting domestic consumers. Now, to return to what the governor said, according to him, in these circumstances, monetary policy remains watchful and actively disinflationary to progressively align inflation to the target while supporting growth. And this was actually delivered in a speech in Japan. India's retail inflation has now eased to a three-month low of about 5% or 5.02% in September on the back of softer vegetable prices. Remember, tomato hitting 300 rupees a kilo and then going down to 10 rupees a kilo at a point which farmers were dumping it on roads. Retail inflation data for October is now due next week. That's November 13th. The recent developments in West Asia have added to the litany of challenges for the global economy, the Reserve Bank of India chief said on Thursday, adding that the central bank has bolstered foreign exchange reserves to deal with potential eventualities. India's growth remains on track and its current account deficit eminently manageable while the balance sheets of banks and corporates are healthy, he said. The positive signaling from overseas did not help the rupee, though, which sank to a fresh time low of about 83.30 against the US dollar, and more on this in a bit. The stock markets continue to seek direction, it appears. The indices ended lower with the Sensex closing at 64,832, down 143 points, while the Nifty 50 was down 48 points at 19,395. Tax collections are intrinsically strong, the government says. The government has said that strong goods and services tax collections seen in October are the result of economic activity and festive demand and not recovery from tax notices issued by the department, according to a top central board of indirect taxes and customs official as reported by media. Presumably, he was responding to said or whispered questions suggesting that tax collections would not have been high were it not for a sustained crackdown on defaulters and the like and the resultant fines and penalties collected from them apart from, of course, prosecuting some and jailing others. The official also said that the integrated goods and services tax from imports has also risen. 
India collected about 172,000 crores or 1.72 lakh crores of tax or goods and services tax in October for transactions that took place in September. This is the second highest figure recorded this fiscal after the all-time high recorded in April at 187,000 crore rupees. The official also said that the department would continue to nudge businesses to issue e-invoices for B2B transactions and would start sending advisories to non-compliant businesses. The department has made e-invoicing mandatory for businesses while systematically reducing the financial threshold. To come to the rupee now, it hit another record low against the US dollar intraday and then recovered to close flat at about 83 rupees 29 paise against the US dollar on Thursday. It was equally, if not more weak on Wednesday, though on the decimal points. Now, that the rupee has been trading weak is known, as is the fact that several currencies worldwide, including in Asia, are under pressure from a very strong dollar. The dollar itself is strong for several reasons, including the often articulated one being the high interest rates on government bonds in the United States. I thought it would be a good idea to do a quick wrap and a revisit to understand how things have been in currency markets, not just right now, but over the last few months before fast-forwarding to the present and then taking a peek at the future. I reached out to Kunal Sodani, Vice President Global Trading Center at the Korean Shinhan Bank in Mumbai, and I began by asking him to walk us through the broader triggers for the rupees, weaknesses in recent months before, of course, talking about the future. There are three to four factors which are quite important when we talk about dollar rupee. One is obviously flows because dollar rupee is probably a flow-driven currency. It's not a developed currency per se. So how are the capital flows, the FPI flows and the debt flows? So if we talk about the numbers specifically, so from February to July month, we had seen positive inflows. But last two months, we have seen negative inflows. And even for the month of November, till date, we are around uh, negative by 3,400 crores. So that is flows, though it is sentimental driven as well. And probably in terms of specific numbers, it's kind of impacting dollar rupee. Secondly, if we talk about the global factors, it's dollar index. How does it shape up? Because ultimately, against all other major G7, you know, how dollar is behaving, this kind of an impact on our currency pair as well. So dollar index was quite volatile. It went as high as 107.20 and as low as 104.86. I'm just talking about last 10 to 15 days only, where you know, such kind of movement have been seen, but not much impact on dollar rupee. Third, if we talk about the major one is the Brent crude prices. Because ultimately, India being an import-driven economy and plus oil remains are major imports. Uh, we were possibly lucky enough now because we have seen oil, that is Brent crude prices, moving towards $97 per barrel. And now it has cooled off towards $79 per barrel. So I think it's it eases inflationary pressure and thus it's rupee positive, if we see. Lastly, possibly people do ignore at times yields. You know How are the yields behaving offshore as well as onshore? So if you talk about the 10-year US Treasury yields, they touch a uh, case around 5% and move lower below 4.5% also. It's again the trajectory of how rates will be in future. But definitely this has an impact on dollar index and in turn dollar rupee. And one more pair which is important to watch out is dollar CNH, our Chinese yuan place. At this time, export data was bad. But dollar CNH seems to be in consolidation between 7.25 to 7.32. So these are the major factors possibly which clearly observe and the liquidity scenarios. When you say it's flows dependent, it's flows of what? So flows, as I said, how much of FPI inflows or outflows have been there for portfolio investments. And it's also important to observe that how much of it has been absorbed by our central bank. So because 
ultimately if there are inflows and if there are counterflows by our own central bank you know what kind of reactions does our dollar rupee pair have on it so when rupee appreciates and when there is an inflow at that point in time if rbi is intervening and absorbing the flows so without much depreciation we are able to have more fx reserves in place but at this current juncture because flows are negative plus dollar rupee is near all time highs thus we are seeing those levels to be sticking higher towards 8330 or less right and india is obviously not the only currency in the region which is under this kind of pressure so many asian currencies are under pressure isn't it true so asian currencies are also facing the heat but again as i said it's very much dependent on how the central bank has been you know panning their game and what kind of strategies they have at times possibly we may be myopic in our understanding but obviously the central bank does not try to you know aim at particular level they want to contain volatility yes but yes this is quite different scenario what we have been observing since last couple of months you know our range of possibly maybe 10 paisa probably having days of only 3 paisa of movement you know this is a bit golden days you know it's quite surprising we are in a very narrow range where dollar index moving too bigy or probably moving 15 dollars but still dollar rupee being stuck around the single probably single 10 paisa range that's interesting you're saying so at times when the dollar is fluctuated more wildly the rupee has tended to follow versus the dollar correct so one of the factors yes one of the factors okay so now let's come to the present so you talked about how the reserve bank is managing the volatility and not allowing it to go too much in either direction but what we are seeing is in if you look at it i guess over 3 months or 6 months it is depreciating steadily as in if we've hit 83.30 today it's a lowest number as comp- though the the difference may be small but it is lower than what we've seen earlier so why is that happening so there is lot of dollar shortage in the system due to which there is lot of receiving which is happening so on the forwards there is lot of receiving but at the same time if you talk about the cause and lag effect you know at times what happens is if there's appreciation seen in dollar it is not necessary that the effect remains on the same time so it's coming with a lag to us and thus we are depreciating slowly maybe not swiftly very fast because of the of the presence of rbi and secondly there is lot of unwinding seen on the nds trades if you talk about the offshore trades there is lot of unwinding seen from those sides also and last is the oil demand here so of lately you know usually oilers don't eye any particular level it's about how they want to pan out and they just want to hit the market so oil demand has also been seen since last couple of days which is slowly steadily pushing rupee dollar rupee pay higher but again contained by the central bank at the high levels right we are in november now and we've got month and a half or so to the end of the year what's the outlook like as we stand here i mean it's quite evident that it is the 13 means a key resistance number you know maybe psychological as well as there may be a lot of stop losses which may be you know there plus 10 paisa levels so in case if we see these levels crossing you know it's probably even in intraday basis we can see a lot of stops getting triggered as a move towards 8360 though this has been an observance on a daily basis and we have been every day surprised that it is not breaching those levels but the other trajectory if we talk about now the scenario is dollar index has been a bit cooling off yields have cooled off trend crude prices have cooled off FTFs have been not so negative for the month of November. So all are favoring rupee at this current juncture. So taking those into cues, if we are unable to break this ATV thirty, we just need one or two good sessions for INA appreciation, which can pull rupee below eighty three also. So my range, if you talk about clearly, is only a break 
or a closing of 8330 may lead towards 8360 and a close below 8305 can possibly make an intention that the all time high in the shorter tenor is made and we may right. swift back towards 8260 8275 hearing you talk kunal it's almost like we are on the final overs of a one day international sort of stay on the wicket keep hitting and then hopefully we'll be home thank you so much for joining me indeed my pleasure thank you so much Vodafone gets a tax break. Some good news from and for telecom company Vodafone. The Bombay High Court has directed the Income Tax Department to refund 1128 crore rupees to Vodafone Idea paid by the telecom operator in taxes for the assessment year 2016-17. The court passed its judgment on a petition filed by Vodafone claiming that the IT department failed to refund the amount paid by it for the same year that's 16-17. which it said was in excess of the legitimate tax due on its income the court also hauled up the income tax department by saying that laxity in this regard has a propensity to destroy and bring to naught any effective system put in place by the government for efficient and transparent administration of taxation law and its regulations the court also recommended a detailed inquiry to be initiated on the failure on part of the assessing officer concerned to act in accordance with provisions of the income tax act The court made several other similar observations but they all seem to suggest that the IT department dragged its feet and could not come up with a conclusive answer as to why. So the larger point of course now is that this delay and the fact that Vodafone had to go to court and fight it out for so many years is not the best ease of doing business advertisement. So Vodafone is not in the pink of health in India and fighting such cases whether it is eventually proved wrong or right would surely strain its resources and stretch the bandwidth of its management particularly since these cases take so long for the quarter ended september 2023 vodafone idea the company as it is now known as reported net sales of about 10700 crores which was almost at the same level as last year while quarterly net loss stood at about 8737 crores higher than the previous year india stainless steel companies unhappy with china Tata Steel which produces around 34 million tons of steel said India being a net importer of steel is a matter of concern. Tata Steel CEO TV Narendran said on Tuesday that it was a little bit of a concern because internationally steel prices are still a little bit soft because of China. Subsequently he made a pitch or plea depending on how you look at it to the commerce minister Piyush Goyal for help from the government which I would read as higher import tariffs. He was quite likely referring to India's steel imports which were slightly higher at about 0.46 million tons in October 2023 that's just the month compared to exports of 0.24 million tons according to figures from Steel Mint quoted by Business Standard now stainless steel is not the same as steel as in almost no steel or carbon steel goes into the making of stainless steel but there are many similarities in the way the trade dynamics work including the role of a producer like China and the fact that many of the companies who produce stainless steel also produce steel their lobbying part when i say there i mean stainless steel as i could see is not in the same league as the bigger metal sectors either and of course stainless steel if imported at a lower cost means cheaper utensils among other things for the armadmi so to dive into stainless steel for the purpose of today's discussion india has around 6.5 million tons of stainless steel making capacity while the domestic market consumes around 4 million tons roughly 30% of this 
of that 4 million tons, that is, is imported. So roughly 45% of India's manufacturing capacity is most likely ideal, according to the industry. The largest player is Jindal Stainless, who represents roughly half the capacity, as I could see. The top three stainless steel producers in the world are Chinese, including state-owned, and this is also possibly the reason they're able to dump steel at lower prices in markets like India. Actually, most of the top 10 stainless steel producers are Chinese, with Jindal, of course, being one exception. I reached out to Rajamani Krishnamurti, president of the Indian Stainless Steel Development Association and a former steel industry man, to take us through the market dynamics of this point and walk us through why this was happening. It is predatory pricing at which China sends, because there's a huge capacity in China, and China doesn't believe in idling capacity. So they start producing, and the government gives lots of incentives, which is against WTO norms. And we only follow the WTO norms very religiously and meticulously. China gives a damn to all this nonsense. China doesn't even sign the WTO. So they say that what we do is absolutely right, because... One of the things, you know, U.S. challenged China on putting export duty on the basic raw materials and everything. China won that case in WTO, saying that we would like to value add in our own country. Why should we give the value addition to some other country? And on that pretext, China won that case. So, unfortunately, in India, we export raw materials in its basic form without any value addition. Without realizing that entire value chain, for example, if I take carbon steel, if I am deploying one person as an employment for mining one ton of iron ore, Whereas I require 18 persons to make it one ton of steel. So that is the employment value chain I'm talking about. And if I'm digging one ton of iron ore, I pay a royalty of around, say, earlier it was just 27 rupees. Now it is around, say, 300, 400 rupees or something per ton. Whereas if I make one ton of steel, I pay almost 18% of GST on that. So which is more lucrative to the government. Right. So what is the landed price right now in India? I mean, if I were to go and buy a ton of stainless steel in India versus what it could cost, let's say, before tariffs into India? See, China sends you stainless steel at a much lower price, which is not even matching the raw material price, that is scrap price. They send finished goods at scrap price, which is, you know, $900, $950 or something like that. We procure scrap at that particular price. And how can you value in on that? So the basic reason, what we find that China gives almost 40% subsidy to its uh, manufacturers, which India doesn't give. Right. So if you're saying it's 900 to $950 in the international market right now, because China is setting the price, what is it in India right now? Not in international market. It is only the Chinese price. You cannot get at that price from any other country. If you see the import data, it is predominantly from China. It is dumping. It is dumping at the predatory pricing. So in India also, are we therefore forced to hold the price? No, but we, there is tariffs. So how much, what is the price in India? No, we cannot hold the price. We cannot manufacture and that. So that is one of the reasons that the, our installed capacities are idle. Absolutely. Correct. But we have an import tariff, don't we? No, import tariff is absolutely minuscule. Yeah. When you say import tariff is only, uh, you know, it is seven and a half percent. What kind of an import tariff it is? Because we were having around 20% CVD. I don't know what reason it was removed by Ministry of Finance. You know, it doesn't make any sense because the product that comes from China, it's not being used for any infrastructure purpose. It's predominantly for the utensil segment, which is the Lagu Udyog in India. And it is killing the MSME and Lagu Udyog. And I would say that more than 30% of them shut their shop, actually. 
But for those who are using steel as an input to make utensils, for example, or it could be in the decorative segment, architectural design, and so on. But for them, this is a benefit if prices are low, isn't it? See, it, it is a benefit to an individual. It is not a benefit to the mass. That's what I'm trying to say. What happens is there is a trader community. Now, all these utensil manufacturers are downstream industries. They are not upstream industries. Upstream industries, the guy who's the induction manufacturers, the re-rollers, you know, they give the raw material to the downstream industries for drawing circles and making utensils. Now, these utensil manufacturers, what they have done is they have opened a trade arm. And they import on that trade arm, they get the benefit of 30%, which they don't pass it on to the end customer. So they keep it with them and they are profitable. So see what these guys have become big brand of utensils by taking input material from India. Since 2011, we have been net exporter of 200 series to China. China used to import 200 series from India. 200 series is the more higher quality steel? It's a low-grade steel and which is India used to export to China in 2011. The scenario got changed once they saw that there is a huge market. See, SAIL has given formally a letter to Ministry of Finance saying that we lost 78% of the market share on this. Because this is their predominantly bread and butter segment. They support to sale and all the utensil manufacturers. Right. So at this point in stainless steel, is India a net exporter or importer and what could change? See, 30% at 30% of your demand is being catered by import steel. You cannot be a net exporter. You have to be an importer. Because my capacities are lying idle. How can I be a net exporter on this? Barring a specialized product, which I sent to a minuscule to someone, based on that, you cannot make that we are a net exporter or a great exporter. So it is, we are a net exporter of this. Rajamani, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure interacting with you. Thank you. Wellness is a big industry now. Have you been spending more on spas, gyms, various supplements, medicines, skincare and what have you? My sense mostly is yes. Well, if your answer is a resounding yes, you would be pleased to note or maybe not so pleased to note that wellness is now a big global business with $5.6 trillion in revenue in 2022, according to a new report from the Global Wellness Institute, a industry group as quoted by Bloomberg. Research from the nonprofit organization has said that the industry has grown from $3.4 trillion in 2013 to about $5.6 trillion now and is expected to hit $8.5 trillion by 2027, which at that point would make it about twice as large as Germany's GDP and of course much higher than India's. So what is wellness? Of course, it means many things to different people. For its report, the Global Wellness Institute defined the industry as the active pursuit of activities, choices and lifestyles that lead to a state of holistic health. So choose your definition. In its research, GWI breaks down wellness into several wide categories of which the largest personal care and beauty is valued at around a trillion dollars. And that subsector includes such things as skincare and salons for hair or nails. As for who's spending the most on wellness, spending per capita is highest apparently in North America at around $5,000 a year, far above Europe's $1,596. So wherever you are, all those gym memberships, haircuts, vitamins, spa visits and yoga trips are all adding up. By the way, wellness also includes healthy eating, nutrition and weight loss at about a trillion dollars again but does not include the rapidly growing market for prescription weight loss drugs such as Ozempic. 
And finally, happy Dhanteras. Dipavali season, if I might call it that, kicks off today with Dhanteras, the day people worship Lord Dhanvantari and buy personal and household items. It's considered highly auspicious to purchase property or gold and silver on Dhanteras as it's believed to attract good fortune and prosperity. But mostly it's gold. Which brings me to the point that prices have eased off a little from the highs of around 63,360 rupees per 10 grams they hit a few weeks ago. And a strong dollar, as we've discussed earlier, is obviously helping keep gold prices low right now. The key thing to do if you are buying gold is of course to check for authenticity and hallmarking when it comes to buying coins and such. It's also important to buy gold from a trustworthy source or brand. I'm sure you know that, but no harm in reminding you, I guess. And finally, an appeal for some support. From digging for stories and sourcing interesting guests to speak to you, from the recording to the editing, the mixing and the distribution, all of this takes effort and some work. If you enjoyed and you feel that these stories have helped you in any possible way, do consider supporting us on this Instamojo link in that description. And of course, thank you as always for tuning in regularly. And a podcast is nothing without its listeners. On that note, it's a happy Dhanteras again and see you tomorrow. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the Thank you for listening.